Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to Did That Make Air, episode number four. I can count that public school education did me well. Hi, I'm Brian Wilmer, joined by Ed Barnes. And uh, the show gradually gaining momentum. Ed, uh, we are now heard by, I don't know, ones of fans, something like that. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair to say. That's a step forward for us to actually have a fan. I think that's <laughs> that's really good. Uh, and I got to say, you're just on fire. Not only did you remember the date, you can count to four. Yeah, exactly. That's you know one of those uh, public education things. You're always kind of concerned about that skill, whether you've lost it. You know, the the stupid thing is, I, the last time I took a Spanish class, I don't even remember when that was. I can still converse in Spanish, but I can't figure out what the hell day it is. You don't know if it's lunes, martes, miércoles, jueves, no. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> before I reveal oh, myself to be any dumber. Oh, college Spanish classes. <laughs> yeah, uh, 8 a.m. Spanish classes, no less. Oh, don't. 8 a.m. nothing in college. <laughs> yeah, you can find us at Did That Make Air on Twitter. Uh, we're working on getting a website set up for this thing. Eventually, we probably will. However, we're just as lazy as you are, so please accept our humble apologies. Yeah, you could always email us. Uh, yeah, you could do that too. DTMA podcast at gmail.com. And there you go. Broadcast synergy. When you consider that both and I are pros, don't try this at home. Exactly. That's very dangerous. A lot. To, we, I mean, yeah, we got a big show tonight. Yeah, a lot to get to. Uh, the usual big question, which I, I really like this big question. We came up with it earlier today, and I really like. Uh, at least where we've started to go with it, we, we never really script this program. We don't script anything we do. But I, I like the premise of it, and we'll talk about that. Also, we have some stupid people to make fun of. As always, we wouldn't have a program without that. But let's start by talking about that big question, Ed. And I'll go ahead and, and give kind of the setup of it, and you can add to it. However, I'll, I'll let everybody know the genesis of the conversation. This started... I run a lot of this government shutdown stuff, and I want to tell everybody before I proceed, this is not a political screed by any stretch. Uh, there's no attempt to make it so. So please, when you hear this, don't read into, oh, well, they're both Republicans, they're both Democrats, they're both you know, going to start making fun of one party or the other or whatever. This is not the case at all. Uh, but it kind of goes into everything really around that and around the discussion around the shutdown and all this other stuff, it seems as though people are more content anymore to call names and put labels on people and throw insults at people and those sorts of things. So the question from my mind, and again, you can add to this or whatever you want to, is what the hell happened to intelligent discourse in this country, particularly when we're talking about sharing opinions and sharing ideas? The thing that's really too bad about that, though, is people probably... Uh, who are listening to our show are going, who are you guys to talk about intelligent discourse? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. That's fair. Uh, but, you know, hey, we'll take a run at it anyway. But I don't view this as much of a political discussion. I view this more of a discussion that's we're going to provide commentary on the state of debate in this country and not ESPN's embrace debate, although that will be a good example of how it's gone downhill, at least in my mind. But that's really what we're talking about is the fact that debate has become something that, gosh, what's the best adjective? I, I, I don't, is ruined doesn't seem like the right way to put it because there's still pl plenty of potential for us to have good debate uh, amongst ourselves as a people. But at the same time, as you mentioned, 
the propensity for screaming, for kicking things up way too far after maybe a point exchanged back and forth. Look, the thing that people don't seem to be sticking with anymore is it's okay for someone to have a different opinion. That doesn't mean that they automatically think you're a bad person. But just because it's a differing opinion doesn't mean that they are wrong necessarily even. That's why you have to discuss this. There has to be a little bit of back and forth. But instead of being able to say, well, hey, Brian, you know what? Um, you believe in this issue and I believe the complete opposite. Why do you believe in that issue? And I can actually get your viewpoint and based on that go, okay, well, you know what? I disagree with you because of this. And here I can take some of the things you said and point out why I don't feel like this is a good idea. And then you can respond and you can actually have the intelligent discourse that we referenced a little bit ago. But instead of taking that step to try to ask the other person about what do you really believe in, it more becomes name calling. And as you mentioned, labeling. Well, I think, and, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that's, that's the problem. You bring up the name calling and the labeling. We live in an echo chamber society, period. I mean, you, you see that all the time. If you watch MSNBC, if you watch Fox News, if you, you know, watch ESPN, whatever else, we live in an echo chamber society. And far too often, we are driven to people with like opinions because that's all we really want to hear. So because of that, we spend all that time in the echo chamber and we spend time around people who say things that are comfortable to us. They say things that we want to hear. They don't challenge us, which that's the key point to me. Nobody wants to be challenged anymore. And that's, that's why whenever Somebody hears something that may be outside of their comfort zone or may be outside of what they were raised to believe or something like that. The instant response is, you know, you're stupid. You're a teabagger. You're a Marxist. You're a whatever else because it's not, you know, they, they don't want to hear something other than what they believe. They just want to be surrounded by something comfortable and something safe and something that won't challenge them. And I will fully admit that there are certain times in my life where I've realized that I've been completely guilty of that. And that I haven't been doing enough to look at the other side of an issue and really try to understand where these people are coming from. Sure, sure. Sure. And I think we all have had that moment. But that moment of realization is never a fun one because you feel kind of irresponsible intellectually, don't you? When you have that moment of realization and go, wait a second, I've really been ignoring the other side just because, you know, I have my belief and I haven't really bothered looking into the other side just because, I've okay, well, I've made up my mind and I'm good. And that's where that's what a lot of people end up getting to. And unless you take that other step, then it's tough to really have that discourse or it's tough to even want to start that discourse because you just feel like you're, you're not even walking into a fair fight. Because a lot of cases, if you haven't taken the time to really learn enough about the issue to understand both sides, then you've usually made a snap judgment that you don't even feel that confident in yourself. Yeah. And the truth is you don't grow as a person and we don't challenge ourselves enough to grow as people. You don't you don't grow as a person if all you do is surround yourself with similar thought. If, let's just say if you're a Heat fan and all you do is surround yourself with Heat fans, if you're a Republican and all you do is surround yourself with Republicans, if you're a Catholic and all you do is surround yourself with Catholics, you know, just throwing these things out there, you don't grow as a person because you don't see the other side of things. All you see is just, you know, what's comfortable for you, what you believe in. And you never evolve whatsoever. It is just thinking the same thing, talking to the same people, hearing the same voice every day. And that's that's a really upsetting life. And I wonder at what point in this country we became so comfortable with hearing the same line of thought and the same voice 
every day and we just stopped and decided that it was, you know, we, we stopped and decided that it was a, a bad thing to go outside of that. Now, let me ask you this, Brian. How much of an impact do you think the explosion of outlets of media has had an effect on actually ruining debate? Oh, God, because tons. That, that way, because that way people can just pick the outlets that they agree with. Exactly. So if you're a conservative person, then you're just going to watch Fox News now. Or if you're liberal, then you want to pick from CNN or MSNBC, whatever it might be. And that way, you know, if you're a statistical-minded baseball fan, and there, there are all kinds of parallels in the sports world, and that's why I say it's not just a political discussion. But even if you just look at the, the Miguel Cabrera-Mike Trout MVP debate from now it's going to be the last two years, as we're going to hear it all again soon, but if, if you haven't already this year. But the idea is that if you're a statistically-minded fan, that you're going to be reading the sites that are pushing the statistically-minded fan's agenda, whereas if you're more of an old-school guy, then you're going to be reading a more traditional outlet that's going to have your you know, old, crusty newspaper writer, so to speak. <laughs> well, yeah, true. And, and that's the thing. We allow ourselves – there's all this talk in this nation about obesity and about laziness and those kinds of things. And, you know, that's fair. We probably ought to have that conversation. But while we're having that conversation, we are allowing ourselves to become intellectually lazy and intellectually obese, for lack of a better term. We don't exercise our mind, and we, we bitch all the time on TV about how people don't exercise their bodies, and kids are too fat, and people are too fat, and blah, blah, blah. Well, our minds get fat, too, because we don't keep them lean. We don't exercise our minds. We don't watch differing viewpoints. We don't, we don't talk to people whose beliefs may not be in complete lockstep with ours. That's, that's our fault, and, and we've contributed to it as much as anything else. Now, along those same lines with the proliferation of media... Do you think that part of it also ruining debate is just the ability for media to tell you what is cool and what's not cool to think? I mean, I, I use entertainment kind of as, as an example, but what I'm really talking about is you, know, you don't have to necessarily discover things for yourself anymore. Uh, yeah, and of course... You can re think about what you can Google. You can just like best movies of 2013. Yeah. And you're going to get all kinds of lists coming back already. And then once the end of the year rolls around, you're going to get tons. And for years to come, anytime you'd be like, well, what if I want to watch movies from 2013? What were the best ones? Oh, here are all these lists to tell me what the best ones were. I don't have to discover them. I don't have to have a friend who saw one or something like that. Yeah. And really, in this country, we have a cult of personality situation anymore. I mean, people, they, they want to follow whatever people who they think are cool are doing. Hence all the twerking stuff and all the memes and all the other ridiculous stuff because people see people that they think are cool and they want to follow that trend. They, they tell them, you know, what cars to drive and where to vacation and for whom to vote and all these other ridiculous things. And we are no longer capable of thinking for ourselves and thinking outside of that box any longer. And I, I hate to use that term, but that's kind of where we are anymore. At the risk of sounding like every bit, the stuffy, you know, ascot wearing, golf club, yacht club, you know, wasp. <laughs> if people are trying to be Miley Cyrus, then, you know, how is that going to be helping discourse in the country? Uh, well, at least we know they're having discourse about, you know, how to, uh, <laughs> how to, you know, get quickie abortions and take the morning after pill. Fake and, a pregnancy or something. Uh, yeah, how, how to wear uh, ridiculously short shorts and put out bad music and all that. Right, that's not. I don't think the putting out bad music something is is something really to aspire to. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if you look at, we we kind of talked about it before on episode one. Um, we think music's gone downhill pretty fast too. So. 
It will never get any better for Miley Cyrus than the video that was out there of the deer crashing through the plate glass window to party in the USA. It will never get any better than that. No, that was pretty fantastic. Although it was fun to watch just the bewildered look on people's faces when I showed it to them. And they just like, what is, what is this? It's a deer crashing through a window in a fast food restaurant to party in the USA. It's fantastic. I could try and explain it to you, but that would ruin it for me. Well, um, you know, the, the bad thing is when I, when I look at what is a true barometer for society anymore, and I look at, you know, satire and those kinds of things. And people, they're trying to come up with, like, funny or die and all these other things as, you know, true stars of satire or whatever else. And The Daily Show is the star of satire or whatever. The the best satire out there to me right now, and, and it's always been ever since it first came on, is South Park. And and if you're, if you're looking at a measuring stick of satire and a, a thing that, you know, pokes fun at everybody and offends everybody, South Park is that measure and everybody else tries and fails. And that's, they're very upfront about it too, is, you know, the creators of South Park have always said, look, it, we're going to, we're going to look at everyone. Like, no one's safe. I mean, they really, they've made, they've taken a run at every major religion out there. Yeah. And Comedy Central cut off several of their episodes because they, uh, you know, made jokes about Muhammad or Scientology or whatever else. And, you know, that's, that's another thing that we probably need to discuss at some point is why are the same people who are the most staunch advocates of free speech, those who are the most unwilling to practice it. Well, I think that, that, you know, one of the other factors that, and I've talked a lot about media's role in this because, you know, media is so responsible for shaping how we feel about so many things in this country. Of course. And with the amount of messages that are being thrown at you every day, and this is a very obvious thing to say and a very obvious part of it. But with the amount of messages that are coming at you as a consumer every day, and I don't mean consumer just in terms of an advertising sense, but the consumer of media, people feel like they need to scream louder to be heard. So it's not about the clarity of the argument in a lot of cases. It's just about how loud people can get. And, oh, hey, you know what? This is a really loud message over here. Let me see what the heck this is because, you know, it's getting my attention. Yeah, that's fair because really, let's just take it back. And, you know, I wasn't alive, obviously, in, in 1968, but let's just throw 1968 out there as an arbitrary number. You have three networks at the time. Uh, you know, people still get their news by radio, by, by newspaper, whatever else. And, you know, these days you have all these network news outlets, you have 24 hour news cycle and, and, you know, we've talked about media credibility on this program and on, on the other program on Sports Matters before about uh, how people don't lend as much credibility to blogs and those sorts of things. But you essentially, if you want to get heard these days, you have to turn into, into a carnival barker. You have to be uh, the loudest, most ridiculous voice in order to get people into your camp. And then whether you keep them or not, our attention span is so ridiculously short that you have to keep coming up with more and more outrageous things just to keep people around. But, uh, don't you feel like it's a cop-out when you start, and I realize that attention spans are getting shorter and shorter, mine included. You know, I find myself doing that all the time where I'm watching a game on TV and next thing I know I find myself with my laptop and I'm looking something up while I'm watching the game and then after a while the game starts slipping by just because I'm lost in what I'm doing on my computer. But do you really, do you, I mean, is it a capability thing? Do we really feel like people as a whole are just not capable of having this debate anymore? 
Were, were you saying something? Uh, no, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but no, I don't think I don't think that's true or fair. Yeah, and you know, let's be honest. I flipped past uh, ESPN earlier this afternoon, and just long enough to put it on there. And I know you did too. And ESPN is supposed to be the shining beacon of sports conversation anymore. That's what it's become. And I flip past there, and the question they have on the crawl is, do you think LeBron has gotten any closer to being the greatest player ever? And that's what we've turned into in this country. We cannot appreciate anything for what it is anymore. Everybody has to put uh, a label on something, like LeBron had to be the next Jordan. Uh, you know, softball pitchers have to be a lady Randy Johnson uh, in the rap game. I know a lot of people aren't, aren't rap fans who listen to this program, but everybody, you know, people wonder who's the next Jay, who's the next Nas, who's the next Rakim, you know, who, who are all these people? And we can't ever appreciate anything for who it is. It's, it's always just, you know, who's the next Nas, who's the next Jordan, who's the next whatever. Harold Miner is the next Jordan. Oh, of course. Everybody knows that. Uh, Bay Jordan, oh, it's fantastic. Uh, but you're right. We're always trying to find the next something instead of just trying to accept and appreciate people for what they are and what they're bringing to the table. Uh, especially in sports, you see that all the time. You know, with, with set positions and stuff like that. You just like, hey, this guy, the Hall of Fame quarterback, leaves the Broncos. Well, who's the next OA? And that's an easy thing to. It's an easy angle, and it's an easy thing for people to understand. Um, but I think that, you know, I think that blogs have started to, I mean, you can find, if you really want, plenty of well-thought-out, well-written, non-slideshow blogs out there. You know? Yeah. They get lost in the signal-to-noise ratio, though. Right. Well, I mean, you have to look. I'm not saying that they're the easiest thing to find. But even a more mainstream-type forum where longer form stuff is being allowed. And, you know, I think that like Bill Barnwell and Grantland, I enjoy reading his stuff on the NFL because, you know, the statistical revolution that took place in baseball is one that's becoming more and more prevalent in football and some of the ideals and, and numbers that come up and about even things like going forward and forth down are all things that we're collectively learning as football fans, I think, as we go. And his column each week outlining some of the things where teams could have taken advantage of their situation a little better. Something I have. To me, that's very interesting reading. But he has an unlimited amount of space to make his point. And that makes a lot of difference because you can put the entire situation into context. You can learn where the team was, what was going on in the game, all kinds of different factors that would lead to a situation, you know, and a decision that was made in that situation being good or bad. And obviously, yes, he has his own agenda and his own ideals that he's trying to you know, push when it comes to his view on football. But at the same time, the fact that he has enough time to really explain the situation and lay out statistically why this isn't a good move, that's a lot more valuable than just saying, like, well, that was dumb for that coach to not go for it on fourth down because we saw what happened after and the other team drove down the field and scored. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I think that that's one of the things that you and I have always looked to do in this program and in, in the sports program. We We kept it a little bit longer because it's so tough to tell a story in a soundbite. And you can't set up what led to a situation without taking the extra time to go back and analyze it and kind of, you know, unveiling the entire thing, you know, peeling back the layers of the onion, as it were. Uh, you don't always just start at the end. There's, there's always some kind of 
you know, action that leads up to that end. And people have to analyze that action and have to analyze how they got to a certain point, whether you're talking about sports or about politics or about history or about music or, you know, any of these things. There are always important stories to be told, and nobody has the stomach or the attention or the interest to tell them anymore, and that's really the bigger problem. Uh, so, I, I, I talk about a big question. I mean, this bigger question is how is the society do we kind of break this cycle here? Because we've outlined all these different reasons why debate is getting uh, tougher and tougher uh, to seemingly continue. Uh, you know, people's attention spans, the the sheer volume of news outlets where you can find, basically you can live in your own sycophantic bubble, right? Exactly. And many people do. Sure. So when you've got the short attention spans, when you've got the, you know, need for outlets to feel like they need to be louder in order to be heard, which seems to breed extremism in a lot of cases, politically, uh, religiously. And I know, Slippery slope, getting into those topics, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, is uh, even you hear this generically about every presidential race uh, of recent times, talking about how candidates tend to go, you know, far to the right or far to the left during the primaries, then move towards the middle for the general election to try and appeal to the other party, and that just makes sense when you think about dealing with your own party versus the general populace. But at the same time, it just illustrates, look. In order to get my party's recommendation, what I need to be as hardcore about these issues as possible, then I'm going to tone that all down later? Wait a second. Yeah, I mean, that that seems kind of uh, kind of antithetical to the way that this country was founded. You know, the, the way that we all should believe. I mean, you keep hearing all these things about, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and those, those sorts of things. And those are things to which so many people, you know, dearly cling in this nation. You, you hear, you know, all those documents so frequently cited, and yet they can't live by them except when it fits what they want to cover. And that's, that's another problem with America. They only pick the sides of, of arguments that illuminate the point they want to make. They never dissect their own argument. And as such, their argument is weaker because it's more about volume and less about content. Right, and that's where the debate was such a valuable tool because it could show you the flaws that you had in your argument, make you rethink it and go, okay, wait a minute, do I agree with the other side or do I agree with my side but I, I actually agree with it for reasons I didn't even realize? So that's an interesting thing that, that's really lost. I mean, having other people you know, look at your viewpoint is the easiest way to have holes poked in it because you always are going to miss those holes because, I mean, just think of all kinds of different ways that your minds can play tricks on you. Just in a simple way that if you're reading something just to proofread it and you transpose two letters in a, in a word like the, you know, T-H-E or something, you're going to read right by it thinking it's just fine. Right. You know, those kinds of little things where your mind can play tricks on you, well, you're going to be willing to overlook flaws in your own argument because it's your argument. It's your issue. It's what you believe in. And when someone else looks at it, they can easily go, wait a second, let me point out something that I don't think you've been thinking about at all. And, and unless you hear that a few opposing viewpoint, how can you advance your own theory, which is I know the point that you made earlier. I think the key, too, you were talking about discourse. And there's there's a difference. People don't understand the difference between debate and argument. Uh, debate is a fact-based conversation of usually two diametrically opposed you know, lines of thought. And usually it leads to some sort of common understanding between the two sides. Argument is just volume and emotion and basically you're stupid no you're stupid no you're stupid and it's it's just 
it escalates over and over, and there's nothing ever substantive that comes out of argument. And that's that's Ar- where people get get uh, twisted. Argument is what happens in all of the stories in our Florida segment. <laughs> yes, and we will get to some of those in just a minute. Thank you for reminding me. I appreciate that. <laughs> but, but still, I, I, I do want to examine this if we can. And I say that just because, like I said, it's such a big sub-question that coming up with an answer, I mean, how, I don't know. But what do we do to break the cycle here? Short attention spans, feeling the need to be louder, being able to find people with the same viewpoint as you, so you always feel like you're right. I mean, there are all these factors that are go flying in the face of, of debate, even something as the willingness um, and quickness to label, because because of the information explosion, I feel like in some cases, like if you're a sports fan, for example, you're expected to, to know the whole NFL, so to speak. You know? Yeah. So I, what do you do? You get like a bullet point or a line on each team, and then you go along. It's like, look, you asked me to break down the Buffalo Bills defense. I know they intercepted five passes last week, but do I know what scheme they're playing or anything like that? No. Uh, yeah, and I think the big thing, honestly, it starts with us. Uh, we, we tend to in this country, and you're seeing it a lot again with this shutdown thing. Everybody wants to point a finger. Everybody wants to say, well, it's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. The problem is we have too many fingers and not enough thumbs. We, we don't point the finger or the thumb at ourselves. We don't ever get too introspective. And that's another thing I want to talk about in just a minute is being introspective. There's, there's a great line of thought I wanted to, to bring up on that. But we are too busy pointing fingers and not busy enough pointing thumbs. Now, I'll, just, I'll, I'll put this out there. I mean, you and I have been friends for, God, over 11 years now. And, which I, I hate to admit because it indicates to me that we're both getting old. Um, yeah, but yeah. We, uh, we covered we, that on a previous podcast. Well, yeah, true enough. But we, we've both been friends for over 11 years now, and you and I don't think alike on everything. I mean, I, I think anybody would be fools if they thought that we did. But the thing about it is we have always been respectful of each other and of our differences. And I, I think that, you know, I, I can clearly say that I've learned a lot from you. And I would hopefully say that, oh, you, know, yeah. that you would say you could learn from me. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. you know, I, I think that's the key. When you listen to people and try to understand where they come from, even if you, you know, if you haven't walked that walk, let's just say, for instance, you know, Buck O'Neill is one of my favorite people of all time. And, and you know, longtime Negro League legend baseball player. And you know of my fascination toward Negro Leagues. I, I am not an African-American individual. For those who don't know me, I am as white as it gets. But I've always been fascinated by Negro League Baseball and by that time because I see what great people Buck O'Neill and Monty Irvin and, you know, Satchel Paige and all those people, what they were, what they, what they went through, uh, you know, the kind of society in which they lived. And I want to learn more about it. I cannot stop learning more about the, the life that they live because, A, I want to be educated on it, and, B, I want to make damn sure it doesn't happen again. And, you know, I can't ever say I understand what they lived through because I didn't. I never had to deal with, with uh, you know, segregation. I never had to deal with slavery. I never had to deal with uh, what the Greensboro Four had to deal with. I, I'm, I was at North Carolina A&T last week, and I talked about the Greensboro Four, uh, a, a group of A&T students, North Carolina A&T students, who sat in at a lunch counter at Woolworths in Greensboro and eventually that store became desegregated just because of their actions. And it led to the civil rights movement in the southeast United States. I mean, stuff like that is powerful to me. I, I need to know more about that stuff because, you know, I didn't live it. I don't understand it. I didn't grow up that way. So I want to know what makes these people tick, what drives these people, what made them overcome these circumstances, because it's as great a human story as it is anything else. And people these days 
just aren't interested in that. They, they want to be around people who think the same way they do, who constantly, you know, make jokes about uh, Barack Obama being a Marxist or about the Republicans being teabaggers or about, you know, making jokes about religions or whatever else because it's funny and it's safe. And- sure, it just made a new vine. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Nicely done. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing. I, I think the, the real answer to this is we have to challenge ourselves to surround ourselves with people who think differently than we do, whether it's politically, whether it's religiously, uh, whether they come from different parts of the country or even another country, you know, understand other people, understand what they have to offer, what they bring to the table and how other people can make us stronger as individuals. I, I think that we don't realize how much we grow just by being around people who are different and people who challenge us. And this, and I'm not trying to say that this was some like, earth-shattering conversation that I had or something that, you know, uh, we unlocked the world's secrets doing it or something. But I was on a plane back from Washington, D.C., and I ended up chatting a little bit with the guy who's sitting in the seat next to me, and he was a tattoo artist from Los Angeles. And I'm not a tattoo guy. I don't have any tattoos. It's not my thing. I don't get it, you know? But Same. Getting a chance to chat with him seemed like a very open-minded guy. And finally, at one point, I asked him, I'm like, hey, Omar, what got you into this world and what appeals to you about it? And I even said to him, I'm like, look, it's not my thing, but I'm very just interested to hear your viewpoint. I don't, you know, I don't have any negative thoughts of you because you have tattoos or anything of that sort. I'm just really curious what you, you know, what made you want to get two sleeves of tattoos? And he just, he mentioned about culture and, um, you know, the people I was hanging around with had them and that kind of got me into it. And then once I got into it, I really enjoyed the artistic side of it. And it's like, you know what? Okay. You know, that's, if that's your answer, that's your answer. And it's interesting for me to know because I've never asked anyone that before. But I've always wondered, like, what's the appeal of tattoos? I can't imagine. I just always logically start to think to myself, look, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to like the same T-shirt in a year, let alone whether or not I want the same <laughs> tattoo on my body. So why do this to yourself? And if you have something that there's a very deep meaning for, you know, people have asked me, like, push comes to shove, what tattoo would you get? And my mother passed away when I was in high school. Maybe something with her initials or something, like, Maybe, but that's all I can think of because it would have some sort of personal meaning to me. Uh, and then I see a story on ESPN about you know guys who are in a fantasy football league where if you're last in the league, you have to get a tattoo or something for the year, which wait, that seems so incredibly weird to me, but whatever works. But getting back to my whole point with this conversation, it was interesting to just chat with him and talk about, look, this is why I'm into it, and and just sort of hear his viewpoint on that thing because it taught me something. You know, that's, that's a, a good thing to bring up too, because you talk about how it taught you something. That's, that's a key point that we have lost in this country. We automatically think that whenever we enter into a conversation with somebody, either we have to instantly be transformed to their line of thought, or they're going to be transformed instantly into our line of thought. And, you know, this this can be applied to so many things. It can be applied. It can be applied to you know the whole gay marriage debate and stuff. I mean, people think, well, if if other gay people get married, then you know, gay people are going to start coming after me, and you know, they're going to want to see me naked. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's it's a stupid line of thinking. But the problem is, we have this mindset that there is a winner and a loser in every conversation, in every line of debate, in every everything. And you know, frankly. You bring up a good point about just learning about people, about learning about where they come from. And I have to say this year particularly, I've seen, and it disgusts me to no end, 
I'll just I'll freely say it. I've seen so many people co-opting Dr. Martin Luther King's message. 50th year of I Have a Dream. And it's one of the more pivotal moments in this in this nation's history. Again, I am a white man. I, I know nothing about the struggle, although I want to, because I feel as though it makes me better. It makes me uh, a, a brighter individual. I want to I want to know all I can about it. But the thing is, people keep co-opting Dr. King's message. People keep saying, well, you know, Dr. King was a Democrat. Dr. King was a Republican. Dr. King, blah, blah, blah. And we're we're missing the point, aren't we? I mean, you, wasn't you, his message of inclusion? Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It wasn't about well, you know, be a Democrat, be a Republican. But the thing that sticks with me, and and there's so much deeper meaning to just this one statement where he says, you know, just the simple words that man would be judged by the the not by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character. And the the color of his skin line, you can extrapolate that out to his political preference, his religious preference, uh, you know, where he's from, whatever else. But don't judge by any of that. Just judge by the content of his character. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've met uh, a lot of Republicans who are great people. I've met a lot of Democrats who are great people. I've met a lot of gay people who are great people. I've met a lot of straight people who are, are great people, uh, you know, Catholics, Jews, whatever else. Good people are good people. And when we start looking at what those people represent and who they are, that's when the labels start disappearing. That's when all the the stupidity and the prejudices and the echo chamber and all that stuff, all of it breaks down because you're not looking at what that person represents, what group they're a part of, but you're looking at who they are. And at our core, that's really what we ought to be aspiring to. Now, not that the thing I'm going to bring up is a cure-all for all this, because there are plenty of smart people that are still going to resort to labeling and screaming and you know, arguing in different ways. I mean, sure. that's, that, that is not anything, but, and, and I, especially in a political sense, I know that I am completely guilty of this because I am very bad about, you know, reading up on politics nearly as much as I should, or being as informed as I should, because it's, it's so much easier to sometimes just turn on the ball game and, Hey, this is something I know I understand. The storylines are very easy to wrap my head around. And, uh, you know, we're just going to watch this game, and we're good. And then I'm going to go into the DVR shows later, and I'll watch uh, something that's fake, and we're good. You know, and <laughs> no, seriously, but if you don't, if you don't have an informed opinion, then you're not very likely to try and present one. You're going to be a lot quicker to resort to the "well, screw you" and your liberal politics or your conservative politics or whatever your viewpoint might be. If you're not a very informed person, it's a lot easier to just resort to being loud, as you said. Yeah, and you know, and that's really that's kind of what's at the core of this, right? I mean, yeah. are we really talking about just the general dumbing down of the country. Well, you see, this term that comes up, and you know, Nate Silver mentioned this, and several others have mentioned it: the the low information voter sect that's out there. And it's it's not just voters; it's it, anything really. Uh, you know, people that aren't smart about current affairs or, or any other thing or history, even. You know, the low information person. Uh, you know, let's just get funny and call it the lip. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the low information person, they are more likely to resort to volume. They are more likely to result to labels. They are more likely to result to insults, resort to insults because they don't have anything else to offer. And unfortunately, more of the country is getting to be that way. They don't have anything substantive to offer. So it's easier, you know, to call somebody a Jew or a teabagger or whatever else or something, you know, some other pejorative because they don't have anything else substantive to offer. And it says more about them than it does about us, those who are subjected to those labels. And... 
really, you know, we've, we've touched on the media and the, and the role it plays in all this and the way that we consume the media. But with messages getting shorter and shorter, and this is something that we saw, I mean, you know, back when Bill Clinton was elected for his first term and stuff like that, and you saw the videos coming out with Carvel behind the scenes talking about it's the economy stupid and, you know, all of those types of messages. Well, you know, the importance of the soundbite for that election or even elections before that was very, very important. I mean, even going back to, you know, Kennedy and Nixon, when their famous debate talking about how much better Kennedy looked on TV and presented himself, it really had nothing to do with his message. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) just think about it, though. We think about moments in time. And and I want to get into looking back on things in just a bit. But you look back at moments in time and, and you think of individual snapshots and you think of lines, you think of, you know, sound bites really that define a nation, that define our history. You know, you think of, I'm not a crook. You think of, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You think of, you know. I did not have sex with that woman. Yeah, that. You think of, <laughs> of Dr. King's speech. I mean, all these things that no, are. No, please don't mention Dr. King's speech right after well, I said that. <laughs> yeah. just felt like I feel bad now. Yeah, but. You know, you, you think about all these things, and, and really, our life, as sad as it is, comes down to a series of sound bites, of snapshots, of, you know, quick 15 or 20 second moments of, of fleeting time, unless we make it about something bigger and better. Right. And that's, I don't know. I mean, it, and again, this is not excluding me from from having, you know, this, this flaw, so to speak, but, you know, are there a lot of things that we really, as a, not only just as a society, but as individuals feel collectively as strong about, you know, as before, I mean, you you think about, you know, going back in history when people were, I mean, going back to even revolutionary times, people were literally fighting for their freedom. That's something to feel pretty passionate about. We've got an unlimited supply of food. And as long as you pay your taxes, you know, and cross when the light is green, um, you're, you're in pretty good shape. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's a much more comfortable existence. And that's reflected in a lot of our attitudes. Just, you know, it's, it's whatever. We're good. You know, I'm just one person. Not really going to make a difference. So, I mean, it's not really important to me. Yeah, and think, no, thinking hurts. And that's, yeah. that's the problem. Well, here's here's a here's another CBS sitcom, so you can stop thinking. <laughs> while we're talking about introspection, and uh, by the way, you're listening to "Did That Make Air?" We should point that out. Um, mm. While we're talking about introspection, friend of the program Julie, who uh, lives across town from me, and comes up with some of the most demented, funny stuff ever. But she's so smart and and so on the money. With everything she says, she had a blog entry earlier today uh, where she was talking about regret. And it was a little more uh, heavy than her usual material. It was a little more introspective. And I, I admire that side of her because it's a side that she doesn't really show as much. And, uh, you know, people should show what they're comfortable with. I, I don't begrudge her that. Uh, I, I'm a fairly private person myself, so I understand. But she brought up regret, and there was something that kind of resonated with me where she was talking about how if her life were a video that she could rewind, how she would go back and rewind it and change things and, and uh, you know, to, to make things different in her life. And, and I understand. I, I do. Because 
I've been one of those who's been consumed by regret in my past. And I, I think we all have. If if we're honest, if we're, you know, just willing to be human and accept that part of ourselves, I think we've all been, you know, kind of covered by regret at one point or another. I mean, you and I have both lost a parent. And uh, right. I, I think there's there's probably some some times that we could have done something different and we might regret that. And, and uh, you know, that's something that's going to stay with us. But the problem is regret is a powerful thing and it's something that can completely envelop you and consume you if you don't keep it under wraps. And, and I appreciated Julie's approach to talking about regret and, and to talking about kind of do overs in life. And, and I look back with perfect clarity at a lot of the things that have happened in my past and, and I can, you know, just perfectly see some of the things that have happened to me. And I, I think to myself, I want to go back and, and jump in front of, uh, you know, myself in whatever moment that, that was. And just, you know, say, hey, now that I know how this turns out, don't do that. Right. But really, I am where I am and I am who I am because of those things that happen. And as, as painful as they may be, as, as, uh, as stupid as they might have been, whatever else... Uh, you know, you, you talk about hearing silly travel stories and you might, you might want to go back and, you know, tell yourself not to board that plane to, to miss your plane and, and, uh, you know, get on another one. It's, you know, something just as light as that regret. It's a necessary part of life, but it's one of those things that you really have to check. Cause if you don't, you're done. Well, I wrote down two things as you were talking about that right now. I mean, of course, choices seem so obvious in hindsight. Of course. It's so easy to look back on something and go, God, it seems so obvious that this girl hated me. Why did I bother asking her in the first place? That was <laughs> dumb. Or, you know, maybe the other way. She really liked me. Why didn't I say something? And that something like that becomes really easy to say. But I feel like regret can, can become a good thing uh, if, you can, if you can just tweak the result you get from it. It can be a very powerful motivator. Right? Because it can make you want to learn and grow. And you know, just like you see you know, Gatorade commercials ad nauseum, apparently, where, you know, you, <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, the, the, I, I feel like the Gatorade Under Armour Nike one more campaign or whatever the heck, you know, those type of ads where it's always if you didn't do that one extra rep in weight training in the summer, you're yeah. going to regret it for the rest of your life. And I get it. And I can look back on my baseball life, as I've mentioned, you know, earlier this evening on the, on, on sports matters, you know, that I've had three shoulder surgeries. So on my throwing shoulder and one on my non-throwing shoulder and the non-throwing shoulder was a contact injury. So, you know, I doubt anything would have come from that, or maybe it would have because my joints would have been stronger. But if I had taken conditioning seriously when I was in high school, which I mean, <laughs> it's still a funny thing to say, not that people are not doing that now. I mean, High school athletes have stepped up their game so much when it comes to preparation and time they put in, even from when I was playing baseball year-round. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't doing anything like lifting weights or doing anything preventative for my shoulder or anything like that. And if I had been, who knows if I could have avoided some shoulder surgeries. And I've thought about that before. And then I usually catch myself and go, all right, well, that means that maybe I would have ended up at a different school. And if I had ended up at a different school, I wouldn't have been in the opportunity I was where I was an intern at Channel 4 and had the opportunity to work with Matt Vaskirchen and Mark Grant for a summer, which turned into a career. True. So at the time, would I have easily gone and said, 
you know, in hindsight, if I could have changed my decision or something like that, gone back and gotten myself in better shape and made myself the best player I could be, well, I don't know. This was a pretty fantastic result from it. So, you know, not all choices. You might look at something where you're hurting after a bad experience, and I don't mean that as any sort of pun or anything because I had surgery, but you can look at a situation at the time and go, God, that was just a disastrous thing, but it might open up another door down the road. You just don't know. But, I mean, I don't know. I feel like the idea of introspection just plays such a big role in what we're talking about in debate because it becomes so easy for people to look outward and look at the other person's the problem instead of looking inward and saying, look, what am I contributing to the discourse? What am I bringing to the table? Yeah, and, you know, this is kind of a stupid thing to, to correlate here, but I kind of think of the scene in Varsity Blues where James Vanderbeek talks to his team and says, you know, they, they say to play the next 48 minutes for the rest of your life, and, you know, he, he, uh, he kind of shoes that off. I won't say what he actually says, but he, he says, let's just play the next 48 minutes for the next 48 minutes. And, you know, it's it's a stupid throwaway line in a movie, and, and you know that some uh, – some guy was sitting there writing that script, and he did the tiger fist pump after he after he did it because he knew it would be one of those classic lines. But it, it really rings true because, you know, we, we tend to think of when we do these things, we think of these grand gestures, these grand moments in our life. And, and we think, you know, when when I, uh, you know, give this girl flowers or whenever I, uh, you know, take this job or whatever else, that when we play back the highlight video of our life, that that will be one of the primary things that we see that, you know, it's going to be the starring role in the highlight video of our life. And in, in, you know, the grand reality of things, it's so small that one thing is, but that one thing compounded by the thing that happens the next week, by the thing that happens the next year, by the relationship you get into later, by the kids you have down the road, you know, it all starts to form a perfect picture. And you know, this as well as I do, I've, I've had, so many doors slammed in my face over the last five years, personally and professionally. And, and, you know, at the time I didn't understand and, and I didn't handle it the best way. And I, I can freely say that I, I was not, uh, optimal in the way I, I chose to go about that personally and professionally, but looking at it now, it makes sense. And, and I think that, you know, we've both been in that spot where we, we look at things that happen and, you know, when they happen, you're just kind of like, you know, why me? Why, why did that have to happen to me right now? And, you know, you look at it two, three years down the road, and all of a sudden, the, the, the bigger picture starts to come together, and you, you start to see, oh, okay, well, you know, that, that opportunity fell by the wayside, so a better one could show up. This, I, first of all, I was going to say, I think this is the most coherent uh, that we've been on through this week. I mean, it's not even close. we got to change that. Yeah, it's, this is horribly out of character for us. But, <laughs> you know, a lot of these things that that we're talking about though is the experiences are shaped and have such a weight on you because it's your life and your world is the only one you know. So when these major life events come by and shake the world that you have, you know, and the foundation kind of changes and the entire landscape changes, I guess is the far better analogy than family's foundation, you know, based on a change with work, a change in family, a change in, uh, you know, marital status or something like that, that a major life event, um, you know, it, it's going to shape your perception on anything. And you never know what someone has been through that's shaped their their ideas on issues or, or things, just, you know, tying it back in with that issue of debate that we've been talking about. So you never know what's going to be a hot-button type thing. And, and, I mean, there are certain issues that people are just not capable of debating for whatever reason. 
It might be a life experience thing. It might be anything, any number of things that they've gone through. But it's the thing that they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis that makes them so passionate about this issue. Yeah, and, you know, really to, to kind of tie this all together, because uh, as you mentioned, we are getting a little too coherent, and, and that's, that's a little uncomfortable that's for both of us. Scary. But I, I would say this to uh, kind of tie this together. A great phrase that I heard, and it's kind of corny, but it's, it's really true when you think about it, that man is defined not by what happens to him, but how he responds to it. Sure. And that's, that's the best way it can be said. Now, it, I mean, there have been some things that have happened to me in my life that you could point to as things that were uh, difficult to overcome, per se, you know, or things that I've had to you know, persevere through. You know, I mentioned my mother passed when I was in high school. And I don't want to get into the circumstances surrounding it, but it was not a, a it was not, a, there's no such thing as a good death, I understand, but it was just a very bad situation in general. And you know, I was involved in a traffic accident where there was a, a guy who was, you know, uh, going the wrong way on a bicycle. And that was a very, that was a very scary incident for me. And there have been some other things involving my health as I've had seven surgeries and, you know, things that I've had to overcome. And I think of, Hey, you know, I've had to go through all of these different things. And, you know, you hope that you're a stronger person from going through instead of a bitter person, because that's an easy road to take as well, because you wonder why are all these bad things happening sometimes. But I mean, the bigger thing is, is it just teaches you like, look, stuff's going to come up. And as you talk to people more and more throughout your life, maybe they didn't have, you know, these things that I don't know of a good way to describe it, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, the, some of the stuff that I just mentioned, they'd be really obvious things where people would look at and be like, wow, that's like a huge thing. And you know, that was something you really had to overcome. Everyone has their own challenges in life, whether they seem as, as obviously difficult to you or not, it really doesn't matter. Everyone has something that they over, that they have to overcome. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, so, I mean, everyone's going to have to be more, everyone's going to have to bounce back from stuff. And what, with exactly what you were talking about, how man responds to the challenges and responds to being knocked down, as cliche as it is, like you said, everyone has to do it. So the people that are successful are the ones that are going to keep going. And really, in a lot of cases, successful people are the ones that get rejected the most often because they're more willing to go knock on that door. Exactly. And, you know, when you think about it, you, you see all these stupid movies about people who have you know, these perfect fairy tale lives and all this stuff. And, you know, there are people who go crazy for that, that type of movie. Yeah, I, Princess I Diaries. Yeah, I won't go what? into any further detail, but, you know, we, we end up getting in trouble. But uh, here's the thing. Th- the key lesson to learn, there is beauty in imperfection. And your willingness to find that beauty and to find the perfection in the imperfection really defines who you are and what you make of your life. And, uh, you know, if, if people are willing to do that, to put themselves out there and, and to see the deeper meaning in whatever setbacks they may face, that's just going to make them that much better of an individual. And I would love to see people, you know, really, instead of saying, why me saying what's next. Right. And that would, I mean, if there, if there could be, let's get a good corporate term in here before the end of the show, or at least the end of this uh, segment. But uh, if we could shift the paradigm in this country, yeah. that would be a fantastic way to do it because I think that would really help the bait. <laughs> you, uh, you mentioned we were getting too, uh, you know, too, I, I guess, coherent. I guess that's fair. Let's, uh, let's take the conversation down a notch, shall we? 
Yay! <laughs> after 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 spending all this time talking about the importance of uh, intelligent debate in this country, here's morons. <laughs> Let's go to Florida. Uh, Dateline Gainesville. We just torpedo our entire argument, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dateline Gainesville, of course. A uh, a would-be musician who was working on a song about drug dealing while sitting with another man in front of a residence in southwest Gainesville was arrested early Monday along with the other man after police determined the song was autobiographical and its in- inspiration was close at hand. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> incredible. I mean, that's really incredible. I, I remember the story a couple months ago about the guy in Florida who butt-dialed 911 and they heard him talking um, – the entire time to someone in the car about how he was going to gun down a guy later in the evening, and then they arrested him before he was able to do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is but a- putting out a song. <laughs> the cops accidentally heard that one. You were working on a song and produced said song to the point where the police heard it and decided, you know what? Uh, we actually think you, it's just like this isn't just you rhyming here. Um, you're going to jail. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Nyron D. Jenkins, 21, and Dario M. Veal, also 21, were sitting in front of Veal's home located at 1921 Southwest 14th Terrace when a Gainesville Police Department officer approached them at around 1 a.m. That's when all good things happen. The uh, officer reported that he could immediately smell a strong odor of marijuana coming from the men and that a glass bong was sitting between them. Uh, wow, did you not see the car pull up, guys? Did you not see the lights? <laughs> Even in Friday, they tried to hide their stuff. Come on. <laughs> Miss Parker, just don't know. Uh, The officer then searched the men and found a calculator in Jenkins' pants pocket and $175 in various denominations in Veal's pockets. Another officer found two marijuana blunts next to the men that still smelled of freshly burned marijuana, police said. Carrying a calculator? Do you Uh, not own a smartphone? (laughs) What happened to a pen and paper? Yeah, I don't know. Well, you don't want to write anything down. Well, yeah, but if you're just writing numbers. Drug game. Haven't you seen The Wire? Come on. Well, yeah, but here's where it gets stupid, and I'll, I'll tell you more about that in just a bit. Uh, additional searches of the area within arm's reach of the men turned up a small pill bottle with 20 to 25 rocks of crack weighing about 4.5 grams. Next to the men was also a luggage bag containing a pill bottle with 7 to 8 larger rocks of crack weighing about 1.1 grams, according to police. Now, here's where I was getting at. Also inside the bag was a paper book, notebooks, and music CDs. Jenkins told police he'd been writing music lyrics in the paper book. See, if you're writing lyrics, you can write down numbers. Mm-hmm. All right. I, there are a lot of things that we need to cover okay. from that. First okay. of all, were they trying to operate their neighborhood's equivalent of a drive through window, <laughs> except with drugs? Like, don't keep it out on the porch with you. What are you doing? Come on. I mean, that just doesn't – there is no way the cops could ever pull up in front of our ha- – oh. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's, you still, uh, you're still using CDs, huh? Okay. <laughs> I thought we – really, I can't I, – I remember burning someone a couple CDs recently, and I was like, this is weird. Yeah, it seems kind of lo-fi, doesn't it? It does, uh, you know. Well, I won't get into the reason why. Might be having to do with iTunes. <laughs> yeah, see, this whole thing reminds me out here in the east, and I'm, I'm pretty sure they have them in the in the uh, in the west too. But out here in the eastern coastal states, they have a store called Brew Through, where 
basically you can drive through the store and get you know beer and soda and whatever else, and it's it's essentially a beverage store. So you not have the drive-through liquor stores out here. Uh, we have them here, and uh, well, actually not, oh, not here directly, but you know, I, I kind of wonder if maybe they're having a uh, a, a drive-through uh, you know marijuana outlet or something. If you know, it, especially if it were legal, it would do huge business. Um, and then it would also be like the cops' go-to spot for ticket quota end of the month time, because you know. <laughs> Uh, you know that people wouldn't be real smart about, you know, hey, I just got my, I just got my, uh, you know, my ounce of whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that some of them probably don't wait till they get home to try it out. Oh, uh, by the way, the first line of the lyrics written in the book contained uh, mentions of drug dealing, according to police. Well, so does most of rap music, but that doesn't mean that they're <laughs> arresting Nelly. Um, you know. <laughs> that might have been a bad example since Nelly's not doing rap anymore. He's just doing country songs. It's your guy, though. It's your guy. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't know. How about T.I.? Some T.I. songs? He, he rapped about the drug dealing from time to time. Uh, no, he's he's too busy doing uh, dance records. No, he doesn't do that now. He used to, though. He's he's seen the light. That's why he's not T.I. anymore, because he left T.I. behind and all those, those evil things he did, right? Yeah, I'm... Uh, yeah, I- totally. I'm more thinking of uh, you know the 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 legendary drug uh, you know rappers in the rap game like uh, you know MC Search and and uh, Pete Nice and Snow and people like that. Snow, <laughs> Snow was uh, was amazing. He really was. Really was amazing that he managed to have a popular song. Of course, you know Marky Mark had uh, had Wild Side too, which was anyway just an awful awful song. Yes. Uh, both men were arrested and charged with possession of less than 20 grams of marijuana, possession of cocaine with intent to sell, and possession of drug paraphernalia. They were booked into the Alachua County Jail, where both men remained in lieu of $20,000 bond. Well, good luck with that, guys. I hope your song hits. That might help you with the bail. <laughs> Those burned CDs might turn into bail money. Who knew? Now, if you record, did you already have a version recorded? Or can you record it in prison? Because then that would, I don't know, would that help your... Your image as a rapper, yeah. Your street cred, man. If, if you're, if yeah. you're gonna, if you're gonna put out a, that. yeah. If you're gonna put out a record, you, you got to make it actually from the slam. People have to yeah. believe that you're, uh, you're who you say you are, right? Easy. That was that was really. Have you ever heard that song by Shine? Uh, once or twice, yes. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about, where you wrapped it over the phone from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was interesting to say the least. <laughs> I uh. I'm scared to read this next story. Oh, boy. I really am. Uh, Dateline Gainesville again. A a Gainesville man was arrested Thursday evening after deputies say he threatened his 21-year-old son with a knife after the son ate the man's, quote, good food, unquote. This this smacks of Chris Rock's big piece of chicken bit. (laughs) Uh, Anthony G. Smalls, 54, uh, no word on whether or not they call him Biggie, of uh, 827 Southwest 64 Terrace Apartment B was charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon without intent to kill in the incident, which began around 9.20 p.m. Smalls had gone into his son's bedroom and began yelling at him about eating some of his food, deputies said. He then left the room and returned with a six-inch-long kitchen knife and threatened to stab his son if he ate, quote, any more of his good food, unquote, deputies reported. Okay, 
Please tell me that they include examples of what the good food was. They don't, and that's that's no. another example of lazy journalism. Come on, people, you can't report that's about stupid next, people. That's going to be our next episode. What the heck's happened to journalism in this country? Uh, yeah, it's I mean, no. especially in stories like this. I mean, we can't properly make fun of people if we don't have all the details. Come on. Look, I learned everything I needed to know about a guy with the last name Fudge getting popped for stealing. $500 in desserts and cash from a bakery he used to work at. I swear to God, I saw this story earlier today, and it was every bit as hacky and pun-filled as you might expect, right? Yeah, it's Didn't in the, they send it to you? Yeah, it's in the rotation if we have time to get to it. Oh, I, okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I found it here. But, I mean, I found every detail I needed to know about Connor P. Fudge arrested for stealing cake and ice cream. Um, you know, and the lead was typically hacky with, you know, when real life Walter White is sought on a meth charge, it's a story. When Leonard Dickman gets arrested on a public indecency charge, it's a story. So when Connor P. Fudge gets caught on camera swiping cake and cake from an ice cream shop, shop, I'm reading as well as Bill Burr, you can bet your rocky road it's a story. Wow. Was there uh, any word on whether Fudge was packing? <laughs> No, oh, there we go. I was, we haven't really gotten the rim shot going. You know, <laughs> allegedly caught stealing cakes and containers of ice cream from Coldstone Creamery in Iowa City. The store owner gave the police the scoop on Fudge, saying he was employed there until late August. He used an unauthorized key to get inside after hours on September 11th and 12th, according to the Associated Press. The tape also allegedly shows him taking money out of a safe. Combined value of the desserts and the money was about $500. He was charged with burglary and theft. Look, there's everything I need to know about that story. <laughs> How am I supposed to like, – he threatened him about good food, but what's the good food? Like, did he eat his last Velveeta shells and cheese or something? <laughs> like, Or was it actual good food? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Velveeta shells and cheese brings back memories of being a kid. For the win. Yeah. So uh, was was Fudge uh, brought up on burglary charges of something delicious? Or is that what that what the charge was? Um, this story I'm scared to read because of you have to you have to be really careful pronouncing the perp's name here. Oh boy! An 18 year old Seminole County man will have a permanent souvenir of a late night encounter with a snake, a bullet in his thigh. Oh, gosh. Uh, Brandon Rapay, spelled R-A-P-E, was in a pickup truck with two men or two friends Thursday about 11 p.m. when they pulled to the side of Sylvan Lake Drive near Sanford so that Rapay could relieve himself, a sheriff's office report states. The men saw a large snake in the road, and Jared Hemphill, also 18, decided to shoot it with a semi-automatic rifle that belonged to Dustin Downer, 21. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got Rape, which is spelled, uh, I won't even say what it's spelled like, you get it. Yeah. Hemphill and Downer. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, no, I, I was just going to say, though, if you have a last name that's spelled R-A-P-E like that, I, I wouldn't be stunned if you wanted to make a change. I went to middle school with a guy whose last name was Gay. And he changed it to gray legally by the time he graduated high school. And yeah, that, you know, Hey, look, whatever your thoughts are on his decision to do that, that's not really the point. It's just more that it does happen. 
So I'm surprised he didn't just think, like, yeah, maybe, maybe this might be something for me to look into. Yeah, no? I'm, I'm going to guess that there weren't a lot of women who were proudly proclaiming they wanted to date Repay, just saying, you know. Yeah. All right, come on. This, how many women do you think are looking at him going, like, uh, you know, the, the, the stereotypical thing that might have happened in that notebook movie that neither of us have seen, um, where the <laughs> woman is sitting there, like, writing out her future married name? <laughs> how do you think that's going? <laughs> Mrs. Brandy? Maiden name. <laughs> Maybe he'll take my name. <laughs> like saving Silverman. He could hyphenate it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, you know, hey, we're seeing that more and more. Uh, just to the chagrin of equipment managers across the sporting landscape. <laughs> See, the bad thing is, too, what if he did take her name and hyphenate it? And, you know, her last, her, her maiden name <laughs> was was worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, I wasn't even thinking that. I was just thinking that his name, if he moved it, so his name was first. Yeah. So his actual last name was hers. Yeah, yeah. That sounds equally bad. So, uh, hey, remember 15 minutes ago when we were talking about how coherent we were and how uh, how it alarmed us? That We've done like, a great job sticking to our goals. Yeah, it seems like 15 years ago, doesn't it? Yeah, but still, what did we say we wanted to do? We're doing it. <laughs> That's the kind of focus and go-getter <laughs> attitude this country needs. Uh, Focus on being unfocused. Hemp Hill heard a noise in the bushes and assumed it was the snake, so he fired the Remington Speedmaster and accidentally struck Repay in the left thigh, he told investigators. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hemp Hill threw down the rifle, and he and Downer put Repay in the truck, started driving to a hospital, and called 911. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) They... uh, they uh, they race to the hospital. They, he's okay, right? Uh, well, let's let's see. Um, oh boy. A dispatcher told them to stop. They pulled into a parking lot at an elementary school where he was treated. They left the bullet in his leg. Uh, Repay is a cashier at a hardware store. He declined to press charges, and no one will be arrested, according to the sheriff's spokeswoman. Deputies found the rifle in the bushes near where he was shot. Repay and Downer could not be reached Friday. Hemphill was still shaken and refused to comment. Yeah, I would be too if I just shot my friend in the leg. <laughs> if I just to do a callback to earlier in the show, or maybe it was the Sports Matters show. I don't know. We've been on for three hours. Uh, <laughs> but you know, to treat your friend's thigh like Billy Bob's old lineman camp trophy—that's um, <laughs> not something that I think I'd get over right away. Can, can you um, imagine that though? You, you call the cops, and it's like, uh, yes, nine one one. What's your emergency? Uh, I just plaxicode my friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Plaxico, <Right>. sir? <laughs> okay, Cheddar Bob, if you're not a sports fan, maybe like eight mile, whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you thought that was stupid. This is dumber. Listen to this. Dateline Tallahassee, a Tallahassee man is recovering in a local hospital after he shot himself in the stomach with a stolen gun after smoking a joint, according to law enforcement. Gosh, man, I thought, I thought we were going to lighten up the stories today. Everyone's getting injured. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll come up with something lighter. Give me time. Uh, <laughs> witnesses told deputies who responded to the McDonald's on Tyndall Parkway just after 8 p.m. Thursday that Charles Mack Hutchison, 18, fell out of the car he was sitting in, clutching his stomach moments after they heard a single gunshot, according to a sheriff's office report. Quote, I accidentally shot myself, unquote, he reportedly said. Well, um, you know, that's 
making me feel better about Adam Eaton's injury and why he missed a start way back when, if you remember that one. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, stabbed himself in the stomach trying to open a DVD. That's a good one. I mean... (laughs) Paging Mr. Barmas, Mr. Clint Barmas. Oh, man. Yeah, it's just, you know, trip, dear me. Um, (laughs) But anyway, yeah, it's... um, God, shot himself in the stomach. That's just so... Like, that's incredible. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. Seriously, I I didn't read this before we went live, but uh, there's so much to this. His girlfriend, Sky Hunter, 18, told investigators that she took the gun and threw it into the woods at Hutchinson's instruction because she believed it was illegal to carry a gun in Florida. Canine deputy Durka. That is the dog's name, Durka. Durka. Found the gun, which was reported stolen in Indiana in 2008. Hopefully no other dog took his gerb. Gosh, man, that's just, uh, there's so much to go over in that story. Um, but I actually have a, I have a story that's a, uh, an actually, it's one that I just saw. Uh, it's not one we talked about earlier, but I feel like we need to share. Um, okay. Because this would be one of the few good things that could come out of the government shutdown. Although I'm sure that people have made many jokes about good things that could come out of the government shutdown. But a Ku Klux Klan rally planned for Saturday, October 5th has been canceled because of the government shutdown. (laughs) (laughs) On September 26th, officials at Gettysburg National Military Park granted a special use permit for a rally to a Maryland-based KKK group. According to NBC10 Philadelphia, the event was canceled and park officials rescinded all permits for special events because of the shutdown, which began at 12 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Tourists will find every one of America's national parks and monuments from Yosemite to the Smithsonian and the Statue of Liberty immediately closed, said President Obama in a statement Tuesday. And, of course, the communities and small businesses that rely on these national treasures for their livelihoods will be out of customers and out of luck. But not everyone took the closing of National Parks and Monuments sitting down. A group of World War II veterans visiting the National Mall on Tuesday stormed the World War II Memorial, which is now technically closed to the public to pay their respects. But I'm going to go back to the lead is a Ku Klux Klan rally planned for Saturday, October 5th, has been canceled because of the government shutdown. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I, I'm, I'm scared to bring this up uh, again, mm. but uh, let me just say... For those female listeners to the program, this is not our line of thought here. We are just simply reading a story. Dateline, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, no. A Saudi doctor has gone on air to dismiss claims by a well-known cleric who caused a stir when he said medical studies show driving affects a woman's ovaries. Oh, gosh. Uh... In comments aired over the weekend by the privately owned Rotana channel, gynecologist Mohammed Bakna says scientific studies have not proven that driving has adverse effects on women's reproductive health. He was addressing remarks by Sheikh Saleh Saad El-Lehadan, who said that women who drive suffer from having the pelvis forced upward. His remarks were published Saturday in an interview with the website El-Sabak. Hardline clerics have opposed a campaign scheduled for October 26, calling on women to drive in defiance of a ban in the ultra-conservative kingdom. Another cleric this month called on people to harass women who drive, which also is New York. I, I mean, gosh, harass people who drive. First of all, the, the advocate—you're you're advocating harassing a group of people. That just, by its sheer definition, doesn't sound like it's off to a good start. No, no. 
<laughs> so that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, a obviously different parts of the world have different customs, traditions, you know, ways society works, and so on and so forth. But it really does kind of blow me away. Um, you know, the the role that women have in in, in our society here in Western culture versus you know a place like Saudi Arabia or the Middle East where, you know, the, the role of women is still so subservient and stay covered and all of those types of traditions that are still, you know, observed in some countries. And, and it's, it's just kind of amazing to, to look at those just because of the theme we mentioned earlier in the program, to try and learn about your life and see how, look, your bubble is not the world. Fair enough. <laughs> that was actually a coherent thought again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Damn it, stop. Ah, jeez. Can I, can I bring the mood back down? I have another good story. Go ahead. Us. Bring it. Mm. Yeah. A Washington teacher who decided to get drunk during school hours is claiming he didn't do anything wrong and believes he should be back on staff after being fired. <laughs> the former physical education teacher at Chinook Middle School, Eric Schlock, or Shock, excuse me, that's even better, is now suing the school for what he says is wrongful termination. The Seattle Post Intelligence reported in February, an assistant principal noted Shock's breath stunk of alcohol around noon. <laughs> the administrator the admit, around noon, which just cracks me up. The administrator <laughs> also observes that Shocks had slurred speech and bloodshot eyes in an August report detailing the allegations against him. Hearing officer Terry Lukens found the 11 year school employee had to have been drunk. Lukens estimated Shock had a blood alcohol level of 0.15, nearly twice the legal driving limit of 0.08. Shock initially claimed that he drank three glasses of beer the night before with dinner then soon changed his story to say he had actually had nine, according to the report. At 2 p.m. the next day, tests suggested that the teacher's blood alcohol level was .05. <laughs> well, uh, if you're going to pregame, there you go. Yeah, well, I guess that he's trying to teach about competition to his class. Go big or go home, right? <laughs> okay. Um, though Shock doesn't dispute working with students while drunk, he argues that he shouldn't be fired because he did not engage in, quote, flagrant misconduct as defined by state law. Oh, <laughs> Following the August 26th decision, attorneys for Shaka filed an appeal to Superior Court claiming state law and the evidence collected against Shaka don't support his firing. His attorney, Tyler Firkins, described the lawsuit as, quote, a statutory appeal. It's highly likely that students observed high levels of intoxication, slurred speech, and watery eyes said Lukens, and if you don't remember him, he was the guy that tested him. <laughs> the hearing officer that determined that he was drunk. <laughs> the district has not yet responded to the lawsuit. And then I always love on these weird stories how they always throw in a sort of but unrelated story. <laughs> you know, where it's like in June, a Wisconsin teacher was allegedly drunk while chaperoning a school field trip to a bowling alley as, Myra, or as Maria Kaya was taken to a hospital after passing out. Police said she had a blood alcohol level of 0.27, which is kind of impressive, actually. Um, but, Brian, uh, before we double back to the gym teacher, um, isn't that the way to go to a bowling alley? You'd think. I mean, I'm consider, just saying. Yeah, I mean, what else do you do at a bowling alley aside from uh, wear shoes that five other, you know, 500 other people have bled and sweated and everything else in and, and – uh, you know, listen to bad music and, and see uh, a bunch of lights that look like they belong in a rave. I mean, what else do you do? Uh, smoke in some states. Not in California, but... Dude... That might be a good drink. Smoke. I, I don't know. Throw some stones. Eat a bad pizza. Yeah. Call it 
see, I want to go back to laser bowling where it's, you know, dark and the, the ball glows in the dark and all, all that stuff. I mean, that's the only time to go, really, because you, you don't see all the other people who are making bad life decisions. You just see the ball in the lane. Have you bowled at a place that has the radar gun and tells you how fast you're pulling the ball? I haven't, but it's a good thing I haven't because I would my ultra-competitive streak would come out within seconds. <laughs> people blowing out shoulders. I got over 20 miles an hour. I still remember this. This is completely uh, non sequitur, but so be it. I remember being at a radar gun in Louisville, Kentucky, at, at the uh, ballpark over there, where the uh, the Red AAA affiliate says, and they had a guy who actually pitched at the University of Louisville on the radar, you know, pitch thing over there, the little you know, throw three throw three balls and get a prize, and he threw one that the radar gun said was seventy three. And he just went into a tirade. He's like, what? You better calibrate this son of a bitch. I just threw I just threw three days ago, and I threw 87. There is no way in hell that is 73. And I mean, he just went completely nuts. And I'm just like, dude, the, the next time they get an accurate speed gun at a ballpark will be the first time they get an accurate speed gun at a ballpark. But it was, just, it was so awesome to see him completely lose it. I wish I had video of that. I'd watch it every day. If we had video or audio of it, I think that would be a perfect thing for this segment. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. You're completing about a speed gun at a AAA baseball game when you're an actual baseball player. What are you doing throwing? <laughs> That's stupid. Um, I would like to say, though, about the about the gym teacher. Yes. I really love his idea. He didn't do anything wrong. Isn't that kind of amazing? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I was drunk. I'd been drinking the night before, but what's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to put on a film strip. It's all good. Yeah. It's just going to be the, you know, dodgeball video with the Chinese opium den. <laughs> dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I did want to mention, you and I have, have both been victim to a GPS at one point or another. And sure. It has taken Especially us, with the amount that I've traveled. Yeah, it's it's taken us in places we had no interest in going. In fact... It's it's such a common thing that they even had a joke about it on the office one time where uh, where Michael and Dwight are going to see clients and and the GPS ends up uh, according to where Michael thinks it should go ends up driving them into a lake, but uh, Dateline Portland Oregon, the Douglas County Sheriff's Office says a California couple following directions from a GPS has been stuck for two days with their motorhome and utility trailer on a muddy back road in the Southern Oregon mountains. <laughs> The uh, couple left Interstate 5 Saturday on their way to Coos Bay and struck off across country uh, toward a highway to the coast, Oregon 42. They got within four miles before mud and tree branches brought them to a halt. <laughs> now, look, <laughs> I I have not driven this road. Uh, <laughs> I don't exactly know where they're going. <laughs> I would think, though, that uh, to mix it in a nice sports terminology, you could probably go up to the line there where you see those trees in mud and maybe think, you know what, I, I think we might be going the wrong way and call an audible. <laughs> Orange barrels, rear out. Just saying. Outlaws, <laughs> 47-something. Orange cones, hut hut. You know, though, you know that like every 10, 10 seconds of things sitting there going, please make a U-turn when possible. Please make a U-turn when possible. And finally, Turn the volume off. Turn the volume. <laughs> yeah, finally, you end up just What's shooting the, the thing. Or something. <laughs> um, Sheriff spokeswoman Andrea Zelinsky says a tow truck driver wouldn't even try the road on Sunday, 
Monday afternoon, rescuers <laughs> with four-wheel drives were finally uh, trying to winch out the vehicle. Zelinsky says one of the people involved is 73-year-old, of course, Charles Garten of Ridgecrest, California. She did not have his wife's name. They have refused to leave the vehicle. That sounds pretty fun. Um, that sounds really fun. In fact, I just... I like the way the copy presented it as if four-wheel drive vehicles weren't readily available in the area. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. Like, oh, yeah, well, we've got this mountainous uh, woody area, and uh, sometimes there could be mud and tree blockage of a road. But, um, yeah, we pretty much all drive uh, Fiat's around here, so I don't know. Well, hope uh, some big, someone with a truck might come along in the next couple days. We'll send them out. I mean, that just seems like the strangest scenario. Okay, I have three stories to close out the program. So I've got two of them. So no one dies on my last show. No, no, no. I've got got two stories that I'm going to include in the rotation, but I'm going to let you do the choose-your-own-adventure bit on the third Mm -hmm. one. So you can either choose from Naked Guy at a Wedding or Dance Coach Fired for a Routine Performed to a Popular Song. Oh, the dance coach. Here goes then. Dateline, Marshfield, Wisconsin, of course. The head coach of the Marshfield High School dance team has been fired after the team performed to an edited version of Robert Thicke's pop, or Robin Thicke's popular but racy hit Blurred Lines at the first home football game. <laughs> oh, Brian, it won't go away even in our stories. Former coach Lisa Jolin told News Herald Media that she didn't hear any complaints immediately after the performance, and she believes calls made later to Superintendent Peg Geegan cost her the job. And here comes uh, Bitterman <laughs> coach, quote, How many people were upset? I don't know, because the district won't tell me, Jolin said. I think if three to five people called, they should have backed me up. I think if it was 250 people, then yeah, they had to fire me, unquote. You know, well, fine, but you know, at the same time, my father worked in, in public education for about 30 years in various capacities in this administration toward the end. But, you know, if a parent called, they really expected you to take action about something. It's like, look, you're the only person to call. But something needs to be done. These are my kids. Well, you're the only person to call. Just relax, please. <laughs> But it goes back to what we were saying earlier about, look, this is the biggest event that's happening in your world. If you really think it's that big a deal that, you know, your daughter's a cheerleader and she's doing a dance that's too suggestive to a song that says the things that Blurred Lines does. See, if they just use the the Braves version of it, then that would have been fine. Yeah. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying, it's... People get all sorts of fired up when it comes to their kids, and understandably so. I mean, it's good that people are taking parenting seriously, but, I, you know, I feel like that gets a little off the rails. The uh, the summer hit topped the Billboard charts for 14 weeks and holds the record for the most time a song has been played on the radio in a single week. Yeah, that's not obvious. Uh, <laughs> just, it's like I, hear, I hear these factoids about that song, and I'm just depressed. Uh, Geegan declined to comment on Jolin's firing other than in a brief email to the newspaper. Quote, action was taken to remove Miss Jolin from the assignment as high school dance coach based on a- appropriate reasons and following district protocols, Geegan wrote. Personnel matters are confidential, so further information will not be forthcoming from the district, unquote. 
Uh, parents and students said they were concerned the dance team might disband without Jolin, who brought it a measure of respectability. Two of the seven members have already quit. Quote, before Lisa came, the team was held together by the parents. It was disorganized, and none of the girls in the school were interested in the team, unquote, said Leah Hennick, a sophomore dance team captain. It was a bit of a social pariah to join the dance team at that point, she said. Her mother said she was not bothered by the song, nor were any parents she knew. Quote, I, don't, I didn't see it as so egregious because she edited the music. I think there were a lot worse things going on, unquote. I mean, if it's just simply because of a, a song choice, that seems pretty ridiculous for parents to get fired up. I would be more concerned if it was because someone, you know, the moves you, like, I would be more concerned of some of the things that, you know, people on the dance team are doing. Or it's like, look, your, your teenage daughter is, you know, wearing nothing but spandex and, you know, doing the splits in front of Like, doesn't that, doesn't that bother you more? No? Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, well, stage parents, you know how it is. Whatever. <laughs> hope, yeah, hope you guys get that TLC show you're all dreaming of. <laughs> uh, get in, butter! <laughs> Dateline Monmouth, Maine. First time we've ever gone to Maine for one of these stories. Police say mother, yeah, police say a mother and daughter are facing charges after ramming each other's cars during a dispute in a Monmouth cemetery, resulting in damage to several headstones. Damn it. See, I was all ready to laugh at this, and you told me it was in a cemetery. There's no deaths in here. Come on. Oh, you can laugh at it. Uh, police say 42-year-old Melissa Grant and 20-year-old Savannah Lowe, both of Winthrop, Maine, were arrested after the demolition derby Friday in Monmouth Ridge Cemetery. Now, see, you can laugh at that. Look, <laughs> I love me a demolition derby. <laughs> I do. I remember having a demolition derby game. Um... <laughs> For PlayStation, it was great. Um, <laughs> I loved the Jackass. The first movie it was like the first sketch. Remember the, the car rental demolition derby? Fantastic. <laughs> by the and, by the way, not and, to, and a freaking cemetery. Come on, not to interrupt, but are you going to go see uh, Bad Grandpa? I I don't see anything in the theater anymore. Really, I, I don't. I you know. Um, just about the time I got a Blu-ray player, it was about the same time that I stopped watching DVDs. It seems like such a terrible investment now. By the way, uh, Buddy Lee Phillips asked from off mic if Danica Patrick was involved in this. <laughs> yes, texting the whole way. <laughs> with, her, uh, with her left blinker on. Yeah. Uh, police Chief Kevin Mulherin tells the Kennebec Journal that Lowe wanted to keep Grant from leaving the cemetery because the daughter thought her mother was too drunk to drive. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Hammer time in the cemetery. The, what do you think, like, the video looked like of this? Uh, if it doesn't have Yakety Sacks behind it, I'm not watching it. Well, I mean, thanks to Yakety Sacks. <laughs> what is it? Yakitysacks.com or is, oh, it's the Benny Hillifier. Yeah, the Benny Hillifier. Right. BennyHillifier.com. You could take any YouTube clip. As long as you punch in YouTube code, then you could watch anything with the Yakety Sacks behind it. It could be a presidential speech. It could be people crashing on bicycles, which I've done. That was pretty funny. The uh, Blurred uh, Lines video, like I did. Oh. <laughs> See, yeah. yeah, okay. It's better. What about the Miley Cyrus uh, VMA's performance? Would that be better? <laughs> the deer crashing through the window. The, uh, yeah, restaurant. anything would be better than, than, yeah, I don't care for it. Actually, the, um, the, the video of that fight at the, uh, the Waffle House in... 
uh, Alabama or Georgia or something like that, where the, the two women are fighting and one of them uh, gets her weave ripped off and starts beating the other one with, with her weave. That's a good one to watch. I that, but that sounds fantastic. It is awesome. It is ungodly awesome. That sounds like early Springer days. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's kind of like surveillance video quality. So it's not the greatest, but, you know, uh, apparently somebody throws a, a, you know, a right and ends up knocking the weave off. And she just grabs the weave and just starts beating the hell out of the woman with a weave. It's it's incredible. Well, I just, I will never forget this one episode of Jerry Springer. I don't remember the details surrounding it, but I remember this one uh, African-American woman and she had some extra weight on her. And she wasn't afraid to use that weight to her advantage, crashing through the security guards by taking a <laughs> running start across the stage to grab the hair of this woman or whatever she could of this woman. And it was amazing to watch, especially when they sat her down and had like a security guard standing right by her. All she did was started throwing her shoes. <laughs> well, see... That's the thing. If you're going to be on that show, you've you've got to know, you know, how to how to use things to your advantage. You got to know how to use your weight. You got to know how to use leverage. All this other stuff. I mean, if if you're not going to go on there fully prepared to throw, don't go. And if you don't go, if you're planning on throwing and you don't go with a handful of rings on, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, hey, those punches are going to hurt a lot more if there's some hardware on the hands, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna throw a punch, throw a punch. Don't you know? Don't come in halfway. No, but that's what I'm saying. If you if you got rings on like every one of your fingers, that's gonna cause some cuts too. Yeah, exactly. You gotta come prepared. There's, you can't wear brass knuckles, but you can wear hands full of rings. There's still no fights better than the ones back in the early '90s, though, where you had like Ku Klux Klan, uh, Ku Klux Klan members on stage, and you know, like all these other people, and they're like throwing chairs at each other and all this other. I mean, that's that's the kind of fights to watch if you want to watch good fights. I always enjoyed the stuff when they would be taking a shot of a person, just a close-up on someone, you know, who Jerry just, especially if it was like a clan member, and Jerry just asked some deep question about, like, how can you live this way? How can you really ignore the culture? You know, or something. Thank you. And while, while Jerry would be asking these questions and trying to have, you know, the brief moment of intelligence that would happen on that show that wasn't his final thought, um... <laughs> You'd see just a chair crashing into the shot, and then they'd go to a wide shot right as the, the chair was bouncing <laughs> off the person. Do you know what I'm talking about, though? Oh, yeah. It, actually, the best one these days is when, uh, you know, they, they finally calm down, you know, usually bigger women, and they give them a cup of water or whatever, and the one takes a swig out of the cup of water and then throws it in the other one's face just long enough to distract him and then comes at him with a right. <laughs> That's that's quality strategy right there. They ought, they need to use that in real boxing. Like the boxer grabs a bottle of water from his corner or something and throws it at the other boxer and then just comes in wailing on him. <laughs> no, you can't do that. You're going to have to do something with your sponsor. So it's going to have to be like, you know, some sort of energy drink or you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Goldenpalace.com. Give me a Bud Light. <laughs> Throw the Bud Light. <laughs> Get the sponsors in. That's really what's important. The uh, the daughter hit her mother's car with her vehicle. Then the mother hit the daughter's car. Several headstones were knocked over or broken, causing an estimated $35,000 in damage. Both were arrested and held over the weekend on charges, including aggravated reckless conduct. It was not clear if they had lawyers. Uh, does the story say if they had watched the movie Days of Thunder before they went over to the cemetery? Uh, no. No? No, it doesn't. All right. So they didn't end up wrecking two rental cars on the way. Okay. 
Actually, I lied. I, I said there was going to be one more story after this. There's two because there's there's something I wanted to cover really quickly, and we're not taping again until next week. So let's do it. Um, it's Halloween time. It's October, so this is topical. So I want to throw it in there. Uh, for all you prudes out there, no need to get your panties in a twist ah, over that haunted house that was planning to allow visitors to tour naked. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. I, I, I just, okay. But my initial thought was, look, that is, again, that is not my thing. I am not a nudist. <laughs> uh, there, that is, but that's a real thing, though. You know, that is an actual thing. Some people do like being nude. There are nudist resorts. You know, I mean, the attitudes towards clothing are different in Europe, obviously, with the beaches over there, you know, where it's fine to be topless and so on and so forth. So attitudes are different about those things. But at the same at the same time, I just, okay, if you want to be outside naked because you enjoy how the sun feels, all right, I get it. Or if you want to... <laughs> No, I, I'm just trying to say, like, I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea of why you'd want to do that. Okay. Like, I can see doing certain things without any clothes on is, like, look, that you can enjoy that for such and such a reason. I'm not going to, but I can understand why someone else is doing Why you would want to tour a haunted house naked? Like, I just don't, I don't see how that's upping the bar on the haunted house. Maybe you're one of the attractions? Maybe that's a good call. Because, see, imagine you're behind somebody like Mama June or something like that, and she's wandering through there oh. naked, and you're like, please don't drop anything. Please don't drop anything. Please oh, don't drop God. anything. And she bends over in front of you, and you're like, oh, for oh. the love of Christ, please knock it off. You're, like, throwing holy water on her and stuff, you know, screaming the power of Christ compels you, trying to get her the hell out of there. See, I was going to reference, like, I remember seeing that movie uh, about Schmidt where Kathy Bates oh. had her. Yeah. Oh, no. And that really, like, um, oh. That took some getting past, but yeah, you really you, you kicked it up a level there. Uh, yeah. Uh, Pennsylvania's Shocktoberfest has canceled the nude part of its Naked and Scared tour after local township officials asked the Scream Park to reconsider. The original park was the to offer... Scream Park. Yeah. Get it? Uh. Scream Park? Huh? Because, you know, it's it's like a theme park, only it's for Halloween, and it's for... Our, uh. The, uh, the original plan was to offer both a nude and prude option for the tour, but now people can only buy prude tickets, though they can strip down to their underwear, said Shocktober's president and owner, Patrick Konopelski. Uh, quote, we're trying to be good neighbors, he said. We don't want to pick fights with our municipalities, and they prefer us not to do the naked portion, unquote. <laughs> wow, it's, <laughs> it's, just, uh, it's just a really interesting decision. There. I, I don't really see how that's going to benefit your business model, but you know, I, I obviously haven't done the market research on nude haunted houses in Pennsylvania that you have, sir. <laughs> uh, Konopelski says he's extremely disappointed by the change in plans. The Naked and Scared Tour was supposed to be about heightening, heightening people's vulnerability and lowering their defenses for the ultimate scare, he said. Um, you sure about that? You might end up getting some bodily fluids that you don't want. Just saying, um, quote, we were trying to take just trying to take haunted houses to the next level. It's not about sex. It's not about erotica. It's not about deviant behaviors. He said we wanted to give our customers the most unique, scary, frightening experience they've ever had in a haunted house. When you combine the fear of a haunted house and the fear of nudity, it's almost like, why didn't we do this 10 years ago? Unquote. <laughs> <laughs> For 
of all, I love the line about we're trying to raise the bar on haunted houses. <laughs> I, uh, I, f- I feel like we're going back to the Raising the Bar episode of South Park where, uh, where Cartman has the mobility scooter. Oh, I just – what's the last time you were like, hey, you know what would be really fun? Check out that haunted house. <laughs> that was an actual question for you, Brian, but yes, that's what's funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know what would be funny if we went over to the haunted house and hung hog. <laughs> Seriously, like you know, I, I just oh raising the bar on haunted houses, and then okay, now the thing that always ruined a haunted house for me was that you know what's going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> you know, nothing is going to happen. So if you know nothing is going to happen, how does being naked make it scarier for you? You still know nothing's going to happen. Maybe you're more scared by the fact that other people are checking you out and you have body issues. Is that like what makes it more scary? Is it like a self-examination thing? Is this so, oh, we're just getting so meta. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe some troll jumps out from behind the hay or something and grabs your junk. Maybe that's it. That would be really... This is the funniest for part. A lawsuit, actually, look, yeah. yeah. This this is the funniest line in all this, though. "Quote: Look, we're a legitimate company." Of course you are. <laughs> Why wouldn't you be? Uh, we've been in business for thirty years. I'm a normal guy. I raise a family in this town. I have four kids. I live a pretty normal life. He said, "Yes, I own Shocktoberfest, and we scare people, but it's kind of a boring life. Other than that, unquote." So you know now his wife is sitting here reading this going, oh, so you have a boring life, so now you want to go see other women naked in your haunted house? Is that what this is about? I'm willing to wager that the women that would be willing to roll through that haunted house naked are not the ones you most want to see naked. No, it never is. (laughs) Exactly. You know, when I was over in Greece, I don't remember a lot of, you know, I mean, you walk, you walk across the street. I was I was lucky enough to stay at a hotel right across the street from the beach. And you walk across the street to the beach, and you put your towel down, and you look around, and you'd be like, oh, man, I wonder if there are any, like, you know. Oh, no, there's a 65-year-old woman. There's another one. There's another one. There's another. Why are they the only ones with their... Hey! This was misleading. I was robbed. <laughs> um, I have the perfect story. To, on which to end this. It ties everything together that we've discussed. It is just the absolute best note ever on which it's to end. Rug from Big this from the Daily Mail of the UK, where they were celebrating getting 20,000 reader comments, you know, from their newspaper, and they picked the best one of all. Oh, no. This is not um, modern so much. But it is the absolute best thing I've probably ever read in the newspaper. And you might have to Wikipedia some of these names. If you do, you do. It's titled, I'm Sick of It All. This is from Harry Simpson of Northwich, Northwich Cheshire. That's my people. I should be able to pronounce them. He starts by saying, I'm sick of Melvin Bragg, Hugh Grant, Joan Bakewell, and Ann Robinson. I'm sick of Vince Cable, the entire Labor Shadow Cabinet, and all politicians. 
I'm sick of squatters and travelers, pop music, British food, the BBC, surveillance cameras, my rotten pension, terrorists, Anglican bishops, and having no money, and I just want to die. My country, which I loved, is ruined. It will never be happy again. It is all self, 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 moan, moan, moan. I cannot wait to get out and rest in peace. Wow. That is the hater of the year. He is a shoo-in. That's kind of incredible, actually. Um, wow. That really is... Uh, that's quite a rant. Now, yeah. the thing that we don't know that goes with that, but they published it, so you'd assume that... You'd hope that they checked in to make sure that this wasn't this guy's way of actually saying goodbye to the world. Uh, God, I'd hope not. Please tell me that you looked into this before you would publish this again. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I do not know. And now the bad thing is I'm tempted to go look. I really am because I, I have to know. And of course, you know, I, I go to look up his name and the first thing I see is Suitcase Simpson, a uh, a former <laughs> a former Major League Baseball player. But anyway. But here's... I, I, just feel, I was just going to say, though, about, you know, comments on, on websites and newspapers and you know, whatever on the internet that uh, was pretty incredible just because it made it several completely, I don't know, you had to read it, so I don't know, but it made it, you know, several sentences seemingly with, you know, proper sentence structure and punctuation as well, which was uh, a first step that's really weird. But second of all, it didn't call anyone else an idiot. And it, it, did it have stuff in all caps? No. Okay. then You know, this person really needs to work on their internet commenting so we can all understand him better. Well, it was it was in the actual print newspaper, so they may have cleaned it up. Maybe, but you know, it's it's just three simple paragraphs and I look at it and I'm just like, you know, hell yes, I completely agree with you on everything which I can readily identify and the other things probably suck too. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is an all-encompassing hater for sure <laughs> no i mean you know it's just <laughs> he, he he managed to get a lot of stuff in there now what was funny was he mentioned like you grant off the top yeah and right away i was like okay i'm one for four on knowing these people <laughs> well i know ann robinson she used to host the weakest link Oh, that's who that is? Okay. Yeah, see, now I, I have to look up some of these people just for the sake of, uh, you know, our our knowledge. Like uh, Joan Bakewell, I need I need to find out who that is just because it'll help me appreciate this a little more. Uh, Joan Bakewell, according to the a series of tubes, is an English journalist, television presenter, and Labour Party peer. Baroness Bakewell is president of Birkbeck University of London. Huh. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, he's sick of a lot of people, man. He doesn't, first, I guess he doesn't like game shows too. Is that what we're supposed to take from this? Uh, I guess so, but I'm, I'm all about this guy. This guy's awesome. I have a feeling that he probably really enjoyed the song If I Had by Eminem from the Slim Shady LP. <laughs> Tired of not having any ends. <laughs> I just, the, the second sentence is the, or the second paragraph is the best. I'm sick of squatters and travelers, pop music, British food, the BBC, surveillance cameras, my rotten pension, terrorists, Anglican bishops, and having no money, and I just want to die. I mean, that right there is concentrated hate all in the span of about, oh, what, 75 words? 
That's yeah, that's uh, that is pretty incredible. I mean, he you know distillation of thought is a skill, and this man really showed that he has it. Yeah. Now uh, after he sent that off, he had to go put some water in Buck Nasty's mama's dish. Yeah, no doubt. Shoe in for Hater of the Year. So I hope Ice T is available to present him with his crown. I uh, I couldn't end it any better than that. So that will bring. Episode number four of Did That Make Air to a close. Uh, our most coherent yet for most of it, although we would hope that we help to uh, lighten the mood a little bit and to add some levity toward the end because we can't have this all be serious. It ruins our rep. Right. Seriously. Uh, the other thing is, too, as much as we would love uh, to have more intelligent discourse, we're just not that intelligent. So... I, I think we really pushed that about as far as we could possibly get it before we had to uh, return to what we know, right? Yeah, we uh, we set the bar low, we give ourselves a concussion, and then we start laughing at stupid people. Perfect. I think that's a good story arc for our show each week. <laughs> and uh, on that note, he's Ed Barnes, I'm Brian Wilmer. This has been Did That Make Air? We will see you again next week, or whenever it is that we produce this program. And uh, until then, don't marry somebody with the last name Repay. And if you do, choose your name wisely. Just consider yourself warned on that. Thanks. <laughs>